Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that because it said so in the introduction. Got a great show for you today because I've got a great guest. This guy, Bill Guerrero, is the VP for Finance and Administration at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. Here's why he is on this program, because we talk about business, but many people to go into business go to college. Also, college has become, and higher education has become a business. It's not like the old days of Oxford, where a bunch of aristocratic Brits sat around and said, we're going to send our children off to become educated so they may rule the masses. No, I think a college is like every other college. It is now sort of a business. We're going to talk about reinventing higher education from the business side. So we're going to talk about business, your business, and you're saying, why do I care? Because you know what? This is going to change a whole lot of stuff. It's going to change what you do with your kids. It's going to change a lot of things that we accept right now in the United States of America because of our educational system. Bill Guerrero, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Damien. Thank you for having me. Looking All forward right. to the so, conversation. So, yeah, our, our listeners might be small business owners. They might be people that work in business. Many of them went to college. Not all of them did. Doesn't matter. About what? One-fourth or one-third of our populace now goes to college? What's the number? How many people in the United States go to college? Yeah, I would say it's probably that one-third number that you're talking about. Um, okay. You know, that start college or finish and get an undergrad. Okay, article I read in the Wall Street Journal here uh, not too long ago says $1.6 trillion, which in this now that the government is just throwing trillion here, trillion there, doesn't sound like much, but $1.6 trillion of student loan debt. We've got a real issue with student loan debt. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you my thoughts. We got too much student loan debt. We've got the colleges that never had to be efficient because they essentially just said, government's going to back these student loans. Why wouldn't we charge 10% uh, uh, more each year for tuition. Hey, let's go ahead and build some new buildings because what the heck, we've got this money coming in. So colleges got fat over the last 30 years. $1.6 trillion of student loan debt, but now that's a bubble. It's going to explode. Am I right? You are correct. I mean, yeah, there's been a challenge since the 80s. I mean, there's all this research and theories. Uh, one of the best one is all the money you raise you spend. That's uh, the higher ed model. And so if you get the money from federal financial aid or student loans uh, or even fundraising, uh, colleges, universities spend it in some form or fashion. And it could be in your buildings that you talk about. You know, the, the, you know they talk about all the amenities that colleges and universities have now. Um, but any money you raise is the money that you spend. And now what's happening is though that money coming in is being uh, significantly impacted with COVID-19. And therefore, all those expenses that you have um, are now finding, uh, where am I getting the money from? And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a real, real revelation of what's happening in higher ed. Yeah, so the whole system probably was going to get, you know, something was going to get upset anyway because of the way things were trending. Like I said, every day you read about the student loan bubble that's kind of like it was compared to the housing bubble and, and uh, you know, personal finances and all the people that, uh, you know, went bankrupt and whatnot with uh, that crash in 08. So there was already that going on. <clears throat> then there was people that were starting to question the whole thing, saying stuff like, oh, wait a minute, man. 
this college model is broken. You've got this, uh, you know, this, this staff, these, these professors that make a lot of money and work about 10 hours a week. Uh, so there's people that are questioning it. And then my alma mater, Mitch Daniels, comes in and he upsets the whole academia apple cart because he says, we're going to freeze tuition. We think college is too expensive. And then everybody else now is in sort of a competitive position. Like, wait a minute, why can't we be like Mitch? So it was already going to get screwed up. And now, like you said, if the kids aren't coming to school or they're doing it online, they shouldn't be paying as much, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the value proposition is really being challenged. So first and foremost, who can afford 60 grand, let's say at minimum, to go to higher ed anymore? So certainly, uh, you know, when you and I were going to Purdue or University of Connecticut and it cost $5,000 for room, board, and tuition, it is much different now. And, uh, and so now when you switch to the model of uh, due to COVID, uh, where you have some form of online experience, either fully remote or, um, you know, hybrid, you know, what, what Mitch Daniels did at Purdue uh, to buy Kaplan um, to create, you know, Purdue Global, or when you think of what Grand Canyon has done back in your other part of your home, uh, back in Arizona, Grand Canyon University, or Frank, or Arizona State University, real awesome uh, transitions in their business model going online. But people are questioning it. So questioning the value of liberal arts, questioning, can I use 60 grand when I can just get a job right away, as opposed to spending a quarter of a million dollars to get a degree? Um, what is the value proposition? So it is completely getting disrupted now. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who can really, really innovate. So Mitch Daniels is perfect. Um, he, he, uh, he opened that door um, to try to change the business model before it was forced upon him. Yeah, he looks, he, he looks, okay, he got, he, he was our governor, and then he became the president over there at uh, my alma mater. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's some people that didn't like him because he went, he started firing people. And he said, you know, if we were a corporation, we wouldn't have this. And academia does not like that. They do not like to be compared to business because, after all, they have tweed jackets with uh, pocket, you know, with uh, with patches on the on the elbows. Wore one today. <laughs> and they smoke and they smoke pipes, right? Yeah. And uh, they sit in leather chairs and, and pontificate. Um, he said, you know, he just started he started getting rid of people, and then that really got folks mad. <clears throat> and he said, we're not going to charge more. And then he really did challenge. Now he does look like quite the innovator because this is all going online. He, him buying that Kaplan thing sort of gave credibility to the idea that you can do this online. Are we going to just keep growing in that direction? I, I think what's, what's fascinating is where you were saying everyone with tweed jackets and, uh, you know, our faculty and staff, frankly, you have people that make a lot of a good living in higher ed. And, uh, and, and I would say is uh, universities used to snub their noses at uh, University of Phoenix, mm -hmm. Southern New Hampshire, Grand Canyon University, and go, what are you talking about? The quality of education at those universities, they can't be as good as ours because we're you know, in our nice buildings. Yeah, and we, have, we have a brick that, building with uh, ivy growing on the side of it. Even yeah. we have Now we all forced to go remote and all of a sudden we're, we're saying that education is just as good. Um, so we've, the, the, the conversation has flipped very quickly. Well, that was one of the things, Bill, that I wrote down here was perception of online learning. And I have a question mark because that very thing you and I both know, and, and we're not uh, uh, snobs, we're not Ivy League snobs, but if a person said, yeah, I got a degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, uh, I'd say, 
yeah, that's not the same as going to, uh, you know, Michigan State, whatever. Um, but now, and, and you know that all the colleges, that was their competitive position was, yes, we're legitimate, we're all this. And now it's kind of like what you've been degrading all the time is kind of like, uh, you know, um, uh, now we're it. So there's going to be a perception problem, I think, moving forward. And also, like you said, on the value pr- pr- proposition, which we'll get to, perception. How do you combat that? Yeah, I, I think uh, schools need to really make the appropriate investment uh, to enhance that learning environment. And so what some of those schools are doing are they're, they're making those acquisitions like Purdue did. Uh, University of Arizona actually just made a big acquisition. Um, that's the public definition of what they did in purchasing another uh, online entity. Um, and so everyone's really trying to create uh, you know, an enhanced uh, value proposition where, hey, you could learn on the ground, in the classroom, either asynchronous or uh, synchronous environments, and therefore claiming that it's a, it's, it's a well-worth education. Um, it's a tough argument. It's a, it's a tough argument um, because we wouldn't want the classes just to be like this, like a Zoom call. Uh, but when I tell you, when you look at all these kind of learning management systems, the ability to use so much different technology from podcasts, from, you know, videos, from, uh, you know, looking at uh, VR, um, there's so many things that you can do remotely. Um, it's just schools really need to commit to it because, you know, when I, when I think about uh, your, your book or your other um, guests in your podcast, there's so many parallels. Uh, when I think of, um, you know, creating variety of uh, revenue streams, uh, this is where the opportunity, certainly let's say for my school, we don't have, we didn't have an online presence before. Now we're going to have one. We're going to be really, really good at it. And we can start offering both modalities. And uh, so it really helps you protect your institution um, where before, you know, you would have people say, oh my God, no way will we ever go online. That diminishes our value. But now you need to make that adjustment. And I think we can really leverage it going forward. Can you talk about revenue streams? Your college, you really sell one thing, <laughs> you know, uh, General Motors can sell trucks, they can sell cars, or they can make investments into, uh, you know, some other thing. And then they also have financing they can sell or warranties or whatever. You got one thing. Yeah. And that's it. You, you sell diplomas. And uh, again, the tweed jacket crowd doesn't probably like to hear that, but that's what they do. They sell diplomas. They, they, that's what they do. But there's one other thing that they do. They sell an experience. And you and I both know that uh, part of growing up for us was you're 18, 19 years old, and all of a sudden you're on campus and you are, it's growth mode. It's a, it's a real growth time for everybody. You don't get that by sitting and looking at a screen and hearing a person talk. Am I right? Absolutely. And I think that that uh, kind of just recognition of what you just said, number one is the recognition of that with, with these schools choosing to bring their students back. That's why University of North Carolina or Michigan State or Notre Dame. I mean, the reality is 18 to 22 years old, year olds. What do you think you and I were doing then uh, to think that uh, you're going to bring them back to campus and they're going to adhere to all these rules and regulations and not get together with their friends? Um, it's just, uh, you know, so that kind of reality check is really, really fascinating to me. But the thing is, is that the maturity, the growth that you have, the mistakes that you make in college is a lot of things that you don't learn in the classroom. And so that you were absolutely right in, in uh, um, that experience is part of what college is. But we try not to say that. 
And I think there's going to be more and more research. There's some awesome books out there now. Uh, there's one most recently called Choosing College. And it actually identifies that through research and saying, I'm choosing college to sort of get away from my family, get away from my parents so I can kind of grow up and uh, figure out what I want to do because nobody really knows what they want to do when they graduate. And, uh, and so I think that part of the process of that maturation that college brings um, is really the, the definition and I, I think it's, I'm glad you brought that up because we avoid that. We avoid that actual reason why people go to college. I mean, shoot, when I was at 17, I didn't know what the heck. I didn't know anything, you know, even though I thought I did. It's probably, uh, you're selling one thing, you're selling diplomas, but you're also, you're also really selling more than that. And that's where the tough part is you can't do that on a Zoom call. All right, we're going to get through this thing, whatever, a month, three months, six months, whatever. So at some point, we're going to decide that we can't just all hide in our basement uh, over a virus. At least it's my hope is that is that they'll happen because uh, I, I'm not doing well with the, this whole thing. But <clears throat> then we're back to campus. You still got the problem, the fundamental problem uh, of higher education needs reinvented, that it is very, very expensive. And uh, it has been in one of those things where it just, uh, it, it, it didn't seem to stop. I mean, it was just kind of like we kept charging more, charging more, charging more. Uh, what happened six months from now? Take me to spring, spring semester. Wow. Yeah, so spring semester. So, uh, you know, as we mentioned before the, the, the podcast started was, uh, um, or the, the, you know, this conversation is we just recently made the announcement to go remote. We, we tried uh, everything that we could, a lot of hard work, a lot of investment, a lot of dollars to really uh, make sure health and safety from a public health perspective, we can do the best we can. Um, you know, the, the rules and regulations are really, really difficult to meet and to do them right or to do them excellent. Uh, really, um, you know, when we thought about the academic experience or the uh, student experience that, wow, they might just be sitting in their residence hall, <laughs> taking their classes. That's what they're paying for. So we really made that conscious conversation. Um, but when we, we uh, look for spring, uh, we want to get all these safety measures put in place. We want to make sure we can do a lot of it excellent. And so we're testing out all those things. And uh, so we, we recognize the fact, not only just with COVID-19, but other, you know, influenza that's uh, going to pop up and you're going to see seeing more of that, you know, of, you know, all the different things that happen. How are you going to protect and make people healthy? Well, you can't do that 100%. You know, we'll just have our systems in, in, in place where you're able to take a class in, in all modalities. And, uh, you know, you're just going to change some of the structures, you know, and be a little bit more flexible with your students. Let alone I, with can take, I can take a class. I can take a class at Ithaca right now only online. But if, and so, you, you know, you're selling that and you're saying by spring, it might be that I can take it online or I can show up uh, in person. Uh, and then those are my only options. But <clears throat> same thing. I mean, either one of them and I still can graduate, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. And, you know, we're still working out those details, but the the flexibility now that uh, did not exist before, uh, you know, the, the way I look at it is there there's no such thing as snow days anymore, mm-hmm. you know? So there's no such thing as snow days. So if, uh, let's buy, you know, certainly up in Ithaca, New York, you would think we have a lot of snowstorms and all that, and it, and it cancels school, and we're all excited about it. But even in the K-12 side, uh, where there's no snow days anymore because now you can flip and that teacher says, hey, I'm not coming in um, to the classroom today. We're taking the class online. 
or a student on the flip side says, hey, I'm not showing up to class, but I'm still going to log in and watch the class and participate um, remotely. All that's going to be uh, how the learning is going to be different. And uh, hopefully we're able to get to that um, and test all those modalities out now. All right, Bill, let's be honest. I know that you've got to be on the side of, hey, we can do this because uh, your job and the Ithaca College, is, it depends on it, but let's, <clears throat> let's be honest. I know that Biology 108, one of the parts of Biology 108 was uh, we went into a thing that they called the tab, teach about biology. You sat down at the table and the instructor, which was a TA, said, all right, there's like 10 items on this table and I'm going to spin the table and all of a sudden the, <clears throat> the heart lands in front of you. And now you, Bill, have to pick that up and explain to me the four chambers of the heart and then what the order is of how, the, how they pump and all that stuff. How the hell do you do that on a Zoom call? Um, now there is something about touching it. There's something about feeling it. There's something about you holding it up. There's that ex interchange of stuff it's better than online. Am I right? You are right currently. <laughs> what I will tell you is, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of the schools and universities, uh, you know, when they say they're going remote or they're bringing on campus, you have to go under the covers. You have to go under the covers to really, really see what classes are online, even though they're saying they're open. So a student may open up their class schedule and they see, oh my God, Four of my classes and my five classes are actually still online, but I'm on the campus. But when you think about, um, you know, when we, we describe them as essential personnel or essential type of classes in the medical fields, uh, you get those exemptions where they, we want to bring them on campus because of what you just mentioned. So we have occupational therapy, we have athletic training, we have physical therapy, we have those type of programs that we need to bring them on campus and have real, real experiences. Even your music, you know, learning, uh, you know, instruments. Um, but what I would tell you when I say now, um, in the future, and a couple schools do this already. I bet you Purdue does it. I know Case Western University does this. When you put on an Oculus, when you do VR, it is unbelievable what you're able to do now with technology, um, with, with uh, you know, any type of that, uh, that ability to really put you in that frame of mind where you can actually touch the heart or practice surgery or whatever it is, it is, it is pretty impressive what is out there now from a technology aspect. So I think in the future, you'll, you'll be able to do it very, very soon. One thing we talk about, okay, <clears throat> here in the Do Business Better podcast is we try to make sure we always don't do parallels to somebody's actual business. Um, and so here's the thing. Uh, academia, uh, higher education is not business, but you would say, no, there's a lot of parallels. In fact, it is kind of a business because let's face it, they have to charge money and they, and, and think I read an article about maybe one year ago about some smaller colleges and universities that were just closing. They just, they, they, I, I can't remember the one they profiled it's somewhere like in Virginia, I think, and said, Hey, we don't have the enrollment. And, uh, this is really, uh, our business model doesn't work. Is that going to keep happening? And not because of coronavirus, but maybe just because of everything, cost, uh, moving online, whatever. Does this, does it, do college, do, uh, the place down the road here that has 800 kids, um, does it go away? Absolutely. Unfortunately. Uh, number one is uh, there's not enough customers. So you have a demographic shift from 2008 and nine after that recession. Uh, people just simply didn't have enough children. And so now you have a demographic shift. You have 
you know, depending on your numbers of, uh, you know, how many colleges and universities out there, you know, someone may say there's 3,500 colleges, universities, you can get up to 5,000, depending on your actual definition. There's just not enough customers. And that is a heresy, let me just tell you, to call a student a customer in higher ed. But, you know, as I, you know, whatever political suicide being here, a career suicide being on this, on this thing. Oh, I appreciate it because, you know what, that's, uh, yes, I'm sure that if you said that in certain settings, be like, they're not customers because you couldn't say that about a hospital. They are patients. These are human lives. Well, also, they're how we pay our bills. So, no, I got you. And from a demographic standpoint, a lot of people don't know that. In the United States of America, just to Bill's point, we are now, right now, at about a 1.7 birth rate. Uh, It takes two 2.1 2.1 to break even, meaning a man and a woman have to have 2.1 children to keep our population uh, even. We're at 1.7. Uh, <clears throat> so we are losing population. We're not because we are getting immigration. But generally, if an immigrant comes here uh, who's 20 years old, they're not going to go be one of your customers. So we're going to lose population uh, or we're going to have less customers. That's one reason. Uh, is that the only reason that colleges go away? No, you know, again, from, I mean, my uh, soapbox is the business model is broken. I mean, that is my, you know, in all my different types of presentations is, uh, you know, as we talked about in the very, very beginning, who can afford 60 grand plus to go to college? You know, that 1% or whoever that is, the reality is, if with that small demographics, now you break that and slice that pie to actually who can pay it. Now you're going, do I really, really want to take out that $1.6 trillion and be part of that to borrow money to go to college to get the experience that we talked about, let alone the nice Ivy wall, uh, you know, Ivy Tower wall, whatever it is. But, uh, and then you talk about differentiation. What is the difference between my school and another school that's remaining? So when you put all those factors in, um, COVID-19 just exposed uh, you know, the challenges of the business model. And so when, uh, you know, when I think about other podcast, you know, other guests that you've had, um, think about not having sales for one year. How many businesses can handle not having uh, student enrollment for one year? And then I would just tell you this, the other piece that's really, really interesting that your audience probably doesn't know is we give away on average 50% of the sticker price for every student. So when I say that like it's 60 grand to go and your business is built on that, yeah. imagine going to a, and getting a car or buying your, you know, your next house and, you're, and it costs $300,000 to get the house. And you're like, you know what, Damon, I'm not gonna spend $300,000, but if you give me a hundred, if you tell me it's $150,000, I'm gonna go now. That's what colleges and universities are doing is if we cost 60, you only have to pay 30. I mean, that's, that's hard to stay surviving that way. It's always interesting to me, and it seems like the smaller schools tend to be more that way, where they'll do a thing where they say, yeah, well, it's 60 grand to go here, but it's really only 30. Um, I was going to bring up another reason that I think that there's some, some problem. And that, of course, is what just happened a year or so ago, the cheating and admissions thing, where you've got people that are hiring um, uh, professionals to uh, game the system to get them admittance. And I think education takes really a black eye on that. And then you go, and that was in the news a lot. And one thing, Bill, that I remember reading about that when that cheating thing was going on was how also the prestigious universities um, seek out applicants. Like they go and beg people to apply 
So that way they can say, we only accepted 8% of our applicants. So that it looks as though they are so selective. And I'm like, well, who's, what's it, what purpose does really serve other than um, braggadocia, I guess. But it seems to me that that's not what is going to work in the future. Am I wrong or right? Oh, you are right. <laughs> you are definitely right. I mean, I think it's uh, the cycle of who gets into what school and not. Um, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And the reality is, uh, you know, we talk about legacy admissions. When you talk about people that can afford to get those counselors to get you into that school, uh, when you think about fundraising, because we all need money in these colleges, universities. And if I have a donor, imagine, you know, that pressure that an administrator would have is like, oh, there's this donor that really wants to get in your school that wants their child to get in the school and maybe they're not qualified, but they can give you more than the tuition. It might be a different conversation. Um, and so it is, uh, you know, when I think about the self-preservation of our, um, I guess, our 1%, <laughs> that's, higher ed certainly has that ability to keep that going. And, you know, certainly there's those arguments, you know, that are in the newspaper, like what, what Harvard is going through, um, you know, but all the Ivy Leagues are, are, be, are struggling with this. Uh, but it is, uh, when you talk about access and inclusion, you know, in higher ed and you get into diversity, equity, inclusion, all those things, um, the system right now doesn't allow for that equity. But, but it, and it's not just based on affordability. It's not just affordability to make it, uh, it's, it's a variety of fronts that you talked about. So uh, 10 years from now, uh, you and I are uh, going to say, hey, remember when I talked about this, are there gonna be, one, do one third of these colleges go away in the next 10 years? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. It's all, be it's, all the reasons, it's all the reasons we talked about. It's the rise of virtual learning. It's the business model is broken. It's tremendously expensive. And you continue to have a lesser amount of customers. Is that the reason? Yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, you, you, the demographics don't look great, and you know, even further, further along. But uh, so the overall pricing model, I don't see any, any adjusting the pricing model. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you think you can have more bigger corporations jumping into the foray to provide those skill sets that are needed. Um, you know, so you don't have to spend the 250 grand on your four year education. Uh, and then you're gonna see the mega universities um, that Purdue is trying to be. Arizona, Arizona State are already there. Uh, University of Maryland is doing it. Uh, so you're seeing the, you know, this big, big capture um, that ultimately you're gonna have, you know, as you just said, maybe a third it's going to be really, really consolidated. Now, I would say the top 50 universities, brand name universities, you know, Duke, Stanford, outside of the Ivy Leagues and stuff like that, they'll be around. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other schools, like, let's say like mine, private, liberal arts, residential, regional colleges, if you don't have a, a, the ability to differentiate yourself from somebody else besides, I mean, don't get me wrong, Damien, it's beautiful up here. Yeah, right. You got the bigger lakes and you got, uh, you know, beautiful. The, the topography is pretty. So you got that. So how else do you differentiate? You say, okay, we're really pretty. We're a really pretty place, mom and dad. You should send your kid here. Yeah. I mean, so if we're, uh, you know, in 10 years from now, so let's say we're a very, very uh, uh, environmentally friendly. If we're very healthy and safe 
for for people um, to get away from the you know from the cities, right. um, but really the academic programs. You need to continue to reinvent yourself to provide programs that create jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's one of the challenges is creating those pipelines to respond to what's happening. And higher ed's not known for that. You know, you rest on your laurels you, and, uh, and you know, you really need to continue to innovate there. And I think that's what's going to be accelerated, um, certainly in the next year, um, you know, to see who survives and who does not survive. Somehow I have this idea because, by the way, if you, if you forgot, this is Bill Guerrero, VP for Finance and Administration at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. And here's the thing. I'm just going to take a wild stab here. You know, like, I'm not a country clubber. I bet you, like, I'm not really just, that's just not where I'm comfortable. I'll bet you, you know what? I'll bet you he is not welcome at the faculty lounge because he, he's out here saying stuff that has the tweed jacket crowd just about, like, just, like, going into some sort of convulsions. Uh, I will, you know, here, here's the thing is, uh, uh, you know, especially when you're a CFO, uh, people have their own perceptions um, of you and so forth. But I truly just believe the business model needs to be adjusted. I think actually our faculty, and I actually have a really good relationship with a lot of them because I try to be honest. I try to talk really straightforward, kind of like why I like your book and I like your podcast because it's really straight talk. It's concise. It doesn't, uh, you know, I guess you, you don't, there's no fluff in it. You know, and I, you know, maybe that's my, uh, you know, my political suicide is because I, do, I do do that, and uh, but I, what I would tell you is, that's where your true entrepreneurs are. I mean, the amount of awesome ideas that exist from our faculty members, they just need to be empowered to do them. And nobody, you know, typically an administrator like a CFO wouldn't listen to them because, like, your faculty and I'm administration. There's no way we can talk. Um, I, I take it a different approach. I actually think they, they just need to be empowered and uh, giving the uh, skill sets to show them how to, you know, grow a business. And uh, I, you know, so I'm hopeful, but there's no doubt there are skeptics out there. And, uh, you know, it takes a while for someone like me um, to be trusted and uh, it gradually allowed me to be in their lounge. So it takes a little time. Yeah, you, 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 you grow on people. Okay. Uh, <laughs> business lesson. And by the way, about straight talk, that's why I always tell people, I said, it saves time. Uh, if you, oh, if, yes. you're a, if you have a problem with it, then uh, also the other thing, you know, it's been Bill, emotional intelligence has been this highly touted thing for the last, what, 10 or 15 years. It was, wasn't there when I was in corporate, but it came not too long after I left corporate emotional intelligence. I said, what you're really saying is, that you're supposed to accept that folks don't actually say stuff and you're supposed to then go through intuition. So, so what emotional intelligence, I'm supposed to be a mind reader. Cause if I'm supposed to be a mind reader, I can't, I only speak words. I don't, I don't like psychics. Um, that's not real. So that's about what emotional intelligence is to me is that I'm supposed to be a mind reader uh, because you don't use real words. You fold your arms. Well, or you, well I would say you, you probably have a very, very high level of emotional intelligence as a successful comedian. You have to read a room. I mean, certainly it's really difficult with these zoom calls um, to really get a feel for uh, my audience. I mean, so when I think about all the challenges, is that we're having, you know, in our campus and, uh, you know, we're doing Zoom calls literally with 500 people, a thousand people. And, and then you just get the screen of just you and you're looking at yourself or, you know, the, the Hollywood Squares version of it. And you're like, and everyone's off video. You have no idea what the feedback is. Um, but when you're in a room, like you are, you, you understand uh, like what works, what doesn't work and you adjust. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, um, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's, you've got to have a real good understanding of it. Uh, Lori says, I'm better, at, uh, I'm better at reading and understanding the feelings of a crowd of 300 than I am of a crowd of one. <laughs> <laughs> I think my wife says the same. <laughs> all right, last thing, um, business lesson, because a lot of people are saying, all right, what can I take away from this? Other than I think it's a neat discussion about higher education is going to have to reinvent. Some of it's going to go away. Some of it's obviously going to, some of these colleges are going to change and some are going to just be gone. What's a business lesson that you would tell anybody? You know, you run a college. And you're saying, all right, this guy that has a, a dry cleaners, this woman that owns nine uh, fast food franchises, what can they learn from Bill Guerrero that you know from your business? Well, I will tell you, you know, the same thing. Listen to your employees. Listen to your students. Don't waste time on hiring consultants. Don't waste time on other people. You know the problems that exist. Solve them as quickly as possible. Um, the challenge in higher ed is everything's about shared governance. Um, and, you know, I, I like collaborative environments, but ultimately I don't, you know, the more time you waste on getting answers on something you already know the answer on, you're, you're diminishing the value of your, your, your operation. So I always look at the free, <laughs> you know, the free services that exist. You have clients, you have customers that tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at. You have employees that are on the front line that tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at. Um, take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. And that works in all environments. Higher ed is notorious for that, that, uh, you know, you, you don't listen to them. And that's where I get back to my faculty conversation. I'm telling you the most brilliant ideas is actually engaging in a conversation with your faculty and saying, hey, how do we make this school better? And they're like, what do you mean? No one's ever actually asked me that. <laughs> you know, so that's what I would say. Uh, go back to your people, you know, your customers and uh, your employees um, to, to really drive your business growth. That is some good stuff right there. His name is Bill Guerrero. I very much appreciate him taking time from his apartment in Ithaca College where he's working remotely. And my name is Damian Mason. Thanks for being here, Mr. Guerrero. All right. Thank you for the invite. Right. Till next time, it's the Do This a Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damian on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.